Today's scripture reading is from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Thank you, Kim. We are beginning a story, or a series of messages about the story of Ruth. There are two books of the Bible that carry women's names, Esther and Ruth, Ruth and Esther. Both of them are marvelous stories, each telling it, sharing its own principles as the story goes along. The, the book of Ruth is a romance. It is a love story, but it's much deeper than that. And I've entitled the series after a book that I, I read years ago, the Romance of Redemption. It is a story, and I've actually struggled a little bit this week to put things together in a PowerPoint so that I can draw out to you the principles that we need to learn. Mike, because it's a story. 
It's easier just to tell the story, but I have the responsibility of unfolding it for you and bringing out principles to learn. That's what we do with the Old Testament. The Bible says very clearly that these Old Testament stories are given to us as an example for us today. You know that I believe in practical preaching, and it's always my goal to teach you the principles of the story, not just to tell the story. The book of Ruth and the story that's told is an amazing story. It begins with a famine and ends with the birth of a child. It, it talks about funerals, but it ends with a wedding. And it is a romantic story, but it is also a story of redemption. Um, we are going to look in this first story um, at comparing the redemption of Ruth to the gospel of Jesus Christ and our love story with him, how he loves us and how he has redeemed us. And act one, each chapter of this story is like a drama with four different acts, each chapter an act. And so we're going to look in each act, and we're going to talk about the different scenes. I think probably in your worship guide, uh, it may say scene one, scene two, scene three, and, and so forth. That's because this first act is a time of tears. Now, we may not like the fact that there is a time of tears, but Ecclesiastes says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And every one of us in the cycle of life, every one of us will come to a time when it is time to weep. And we begin this story with weeping. Notice because, that is because, first of all, of famine. In the days when the judges ruled. By the way, that tells us when this story takes place. You might wonder otherwise, when does all of this happen? It is in the time of judges. And it's a little bit strange that such a lovely, romantic story would come about in the time of the chaos and the darkness of the time of the judges. Maybe the book of Ruth, God chose to put the book of Ruth where he did so that we know that there was more than just chaos and death and disorder during the time of the judges. There was also a beautiful love story, a story of redemption. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Uh, there, the famine, the event, is what we start off with. You know, you wonder... Why was there a famine in the land? This is the chosen land. This is God's promised land. This is the land of milk and honey, it's described in the Bible. And it's odd that the place that we find these people are in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. But what we're saying, Stan, is there, there's no bread in the house of bread. There is a famine. Why does God allow bad things to happen to his chosen people. That's exactly what my sermon tonight will be about, by the way. That's a, 
advertisement to get you back tonight. Uh, why do good things happen? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? But usually when there is a famine in the land, that in the Old Testament is for the most part a, a matter of judgment because of sin. Why does he bring that? Why do, does he bring judgment in order to draw us back to him? When there's famine, will you turn to God? How will you respond to the bad things going on in your life? If God is trying to draw you back, His goal and His will for you is for you to come back to Him. Will you come back to God? Will you turn to God? Sometimes the famine and the hard times come for the purpose of testing. And the question is, will you trust God? Will you turn to God? Will you trust God? That's the first scene, the scene of famine. The second scene is the scene of flight. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Okay, that leads us to the characters in this play. We haven't talked about them yet. We've only talked about the famine. Uh, there was Elimelech. Elimelech, the, the second half of that, Melech is king. He, this means my God is king. God king. My God is king. The problem with that is Elimelech did not really believe that. How do I know that? Because when famine came, he took matters in his own hand instead of staying where God intended. You have to understand, God has led the nation of Israel to this land. He has put them under the leader of Joshua in the land that they are to possess. You cannot possess the land and leave and flee to somewhere else. Remember that the reason for famine is to get you either to turn to God or to test whether you're going to trust God or not. And Elimelech and his family did not trust God. Please understand, not everyone in Bethlehem, not everyone in Israel left to go somewhere else to find food. Later in the story, you hear that after 10 years, they heard that God had blessed the land, had saved the people by bringing rain and food, and they went back to the land. But it was, there was no command for them to leave. There's Elimelech. There is Naomi. Na Naomi means amiable or pleasant. That's easy to get along with. By the way, somewhere along the way, she didn't live up to her name either because she became bitter against God because of the things that happened. Listen, when God begins to test you, when He brings famine, when He brings hard times, you have a choice. You can be bitter or you can be better. That's up to you. How will you respond to his times of testing. Naomi responded poorly, but God practiced loving redemption 
anyway. Well, um, their sons were named Malon, which means sickness, and Kilion, which means consumption or consumed. Isn't that a lovely family? I mean, my two sons, sickness and consumed. They were both, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, the, city, the, the house of bread, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, okay, so let me go back and talk about their sins. They went to Moab and lived there. They were not commanded to. They left the promised land and they went to the land of their enemies. That showed a lack of faith. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, um, and she was left with her two sons. The sons married Moabite women. That's an important thing to understand. And they stayed there about 10 years. They did not go just for a short time. They went and stayed 10 long years. There's some lessons for life in this. Number one, you can't run away from your problems. When you try to run away from your problems, your problems generally go with you. There is a book that I use to teach young pastors and young missionaries, and there's a story in there about a pastor who had a run-in in the church with a Mrs. Johnson. And I, I scratched my head. Do we have any Johnsons in here? Maybe I can't tell this story. Um, anyway. And, and so he resigned the church and went to another church. And he discovered there's a Mrs. Johnson in every single church. She may have a different name, Kelly, but she, there is a Mrs. Johnson in every single church. You cannot run from your problems. You have to trust God to either get you out of that problem or to get you through the problem. Now, John, I'll be honest with you. I'd rather he got me out of the problem. Whatever that takes. I'd rather he got me out of the problem. But the reason that it's testing, Ginger, is sometimes God wants to get us through. He'll walk through the problem with us. And we need to understand you cannot run from your problems. Not only that, but that whole intermarriage thing. They took their sons to Moab. What did they think they would do? They're going to marry Moabites. That's against the command of God. The Jews were to have nothing to do with the Moabites and certainly not to intermarry with them because of their false gods. You can read it. I haven't said it yet, but you can read it. Parents, you need to understand. Your decisions about whether to follow God or not will have lasting consequences for your children. Sometimes, we as adults and as parents think very selfishly about what we want and what we would choose. But you need to understand there are little feet behind you. There are those who are following you, and they will follow your example. And your choices have lasting consequences. That's the lesson from this part of the story. Okay, we've talked about famine. We've talked about flight. And now funerals. It says Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, both sickness and pining or consumed, 
also died. And look at this phrase. Naomi was left without. Naomi was left without. It's, it's strange. I cannot imagine the, the grief that she felt. I've said here before, because I know that there are some of you present who've lost children. It, I, I cannot imagine. My mind won't go there. What it's like for you to lose a child, even a grown child. And yet, that is what happened. Both her husband and both of her sons died. How ironic is it that they left the promised land from the presence of God to go to a foreign land in order to find food and to save their lives. They left to save their lives and they died anyway. Friend, you cannot outrun death. You cannot outrun death. It is appointed unto men once the di to die and then the judgment. I've got news for you. You're going to die. In fact, you are dying already. Every morning when I look in the mirror, I look more and more dead. We took a picture of the baptism, and I don't remember which of the girls it was I was baptizing, but somebody shot a video, and I looked at that, and I thought, oh my goodness, I thought I had some hair up there. And I, there was a still shot, Sandy, and I, I looked at that and did a double take, and I sent it to a couple of you, and I sent it to my sister and said, what's my dad doing in our baptistry? He looks, I look just like my father. What's my dad doing baptizing members of my church? The truth is, as we are aging, we are slowly dying. Our bodies are wearing out, and there will be a day that someone preaches my funeral if the Lord doesn't come. Now, if the Lord comes, I'm going with him. You guys can do whatever you want to. I, I'm going with him. But death's coming, and you better be ready for the judgment. Let me just take a minute right here in the middle of the sermon to say to you, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you are going to die in your sins and be lost forever. That may not be popular preaching, but it is to your benefit that I say that. You need to hear that warning. You cannot escape death. Run as hard as you can, and death will overtake you. There's a passage, Don, in the Old Testament where the prophet says that death has crawled in the windows. That's a pretty apt picture. You don't know when your time will come, but every one of us will die. You cannot outrun death. They tried to save their lives. But the Bible says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake. That means giving up your life, your choices to serve God and to follow His will. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul.
Imagine that. We pursue business, careers, education, big houses, new cars. We pursue all these things. But what's really important? What's really important is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. One minute in heaven or one minute in hell will prove what's really important. But by then, if it's the one minute in hell, if it's the one minute in heaven, your choice is already made. And there are no second chances. You cannot outrun death. Then we've talked about famine. We've talked about flight. We've talked about funerals. We need to talk about friends. I love the fact that Orpah and Ruth loved their mother-in-law. How many mothers-in-law are there in here? Just curious. Come on, put your hands up high. Don't be ashamed. I mean, my goodness. Okay. (laughs) You ever figured out that Naomi must have been a great mother-in-law? Must have been. Because her daughter-in-laws loved her. Now, I am not going to ask for you to raise your hands if you've got a mother-in-law that you love, okay? We're not going to do that. Naomi must have been a great mother-in-law because her daughters-in-law loved her. They were willing to give up everything. They offered to go with her back to her country. They were loyal. They said, we will return with you to your people. It says that Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I think about Orpah. She kissed her mother-in-law, but later in the verses, if you notice, Naomi said, Orpah has gone back to her gods. You ever thought about that? Naomi's faith was so weak at that point at that point in her life, she sent her daughter-in-law that she loved back to fake gods. That is a sad commentary. But she Orpha was a friend. And then there was Ruth. Ruth clung to her. The testimony of Ruth at that point, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. By the way, we had this sung at our wedding. Probably some of the rest of you did. But you have to understand just how ironic that statement is, Melody, for, uh, from, for Brenda. Uh, where you go, I will go. We've been in 70 countries in the world. The, we've spent more time in airports than air, and in airplanes than anybody ought to have to. Where you go, I will go. I'm not sure, Sandy, she knew what she was getting into when when she said that. On the other hand, having listened to her, I think she dreamed of that most of her life. Maybe I was the one that didn't know what I was getting into. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Oh, listen, 
everyone needs a friend who will be a friend even when you're wrong. I need you to think about that a little bit. Even when you're wrong. You realize that Naomi was in the wrong at this point. She is bitter. She is angry. She is out of the will of God. But Ruth was her friend. The loyalty and the love of Ruth is why the book is, about, is named after Ruth rather than Naomi. The final scene then. Faith. We've talked about famine, flight, funerals, friends, and faith. Chloe, I did that just so you could fill in all the blanks. And Ruth, I already said that Naomi was so bitter, she told them, the, the friends back in, we didn't read verse 20, by the way. This is when they went back to Bethlehem. Don't call me Naomi. Remember, Naomi means pleasant. She told them, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord, by the way, that is Yahweh, that is Jehovah, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, the Lord, again, Yahweh, has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You see how bitter she is against God? And I've already said to you that she sent Orpah back to her gods. Listen, she's gone through famine. She's had, gone through the funerals. We cannot control the circumstances around us. You cannot control the things that happen to you in your life. Now, you may make bad choices and bring those circumstances, but when they come, you do not have the power to change them. But you do have the power to decide how to react to those circumstances. Just like every time I give an, an invitation after the sermon, I'm asking people to come and be saved. I'm asking people to come and follow the Lord in baptism. I'm asking people to come and dedicate their lives. But Maybe they've gotten away from God and it's time to come back home. I'm, I'm asking people to join our church and serve the Lord together with us. I cannot take responsibility for whether you respond or not. I cannot take responsibility for how many of you come back after being away for a year from COVID. I can't do that. You have to make that decision. And no one but you can do that. Oh, but listen. When the Spirit of God is moving in a service and there is conviction, it is dangerous to resist the conviction and the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. It is dangerous to turn away from His will and His calling in your life. You need to answer God's call. You need to do what God wants you to do. You need to react by coming back to God, by obeying Him. Notice, she was so bitter that she sent Orpah back to her idol gods. And I didn't say it then, but I'll say it now. Never make the mistake 
of saying their religion is good enough for them. That attitude has sent myriads of people straight to hell because we say it doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter who they worship. It doesn't matter what church they belong to. Their religion is good enough for them. It, is, it may be good enough for them, but it's not good enough for God. They need to come to God. They need to come to Jesus Christ. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when you die, you will die in your sins. Lost. Lost. Oh, the enormity of that word, lost. Make sure that you have come to Christ for salvation. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. That's, that just amazes me. To her gods. To her idol gods. Oh, what a sin, Naomi. But Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God... My God, where you die, I will die, and I will be buried. May the Lord. Who is that? That is Jehovah God. That is Yahweh. That is the God of the Bible. That is the Jesus of the New Testament. That word Yahweh is based upon the be verb, and Jesus came and said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Ruth is professing faith in Jehovah God, the Jesus of the Old Testament. May the Lord deal with me if it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Don, she had a hope of the resurrection from the dead. Even after we die, Naomi, you and I will be together because Jehovah is our God. That is amazing. A Moabitess who comes to Christ because of the love and the testimony of her mother-in-law. Listen, the faith and redemption of Ruth is evidence that God's grace extends further than we might expect. It extended all the way to the enemy, to a Moabitist woman. By the way, not just to, a, to a, someone from Moabite, but a woman. The Jews would have trouble with that. They were not even sure women would be saved. After the discussion this morning, Delane and, and Shelley, about husbands and wives. And anyway, I, I won't stir it up anymore, Delane. You've, you've got to go home this morning. Listen to me. God's grace flows further and flows deeper than you can ever imagine. And His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient to save you. His grace is sufficient to keep you saved. His grace is sufficient for any circumstance that you might go through. Come to Jesus. God loves you. I said that this is a love story and it is a beautiful one. God loves you. He sent you a redeemer. We're going to read about Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, 
next week and the week to follow. But Jesus came to rescue you. Let him do his work in you. You know, I don't know. I look out across the crowd and I know everyone here at least at some level. I can't say I know what God wants you to do. I know that it is, will, it is His will that nobody perish. That is, that no one dies in their sins lost. No one. What is the will of God for my life? It's His will that you be saved. And I believe it's His will that you be a part of a fellowship of believers like this. You do that with us through baptism and by joining the church. God wants to use you. He has made a plan of redemption for you. You say, my life has been too bad. There's too much water under the bridge. I've done too much. Listen, if you feel the drawing of the Spirit of God and conviction about that, it's not too late. God's grace is available and He can redeem your life. Won't you come to Him? I want us to stand. I'd ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What is God speaking to your heart? Have you been saved? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? Why not come now? Come here. Let's pray together. Let me show you how you can be saved. Will you do that? Maybe you're here and you have not been baptized. And you want to follow the Lord. You've been saved, but now you want to follow the Lord in baptism. This is the time. Just come tell me. Maybe it's time for you to come home to come for membership in this church or come back into the fellowship of this church. Hear the voice of God and obey. Do what He's asking you to do. Will you come? Father, I thank You for Your Word, for the beautiful story of Ruth. Lord, it doesn't look very beautiful yet. Oh, but it gets that way. And I pray, Father, that you would touch our hearts by your Spirit, by the Word that has been preached. I pray that you would convict people of what they need to do. And help us, Father, to follow you, to serve you all of our days without bitterness, without disobedience, serving and obeying you. I pray this in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Amen.